Oh, friends, it's been a year. I wonder, can you remember who you were a year ago? What life was like a year ago? What you were hoping for and doing and enjoying? Can you even remember a year ago as Pastor Ryan and I fumbled through our first welcome video that we filmed on Zoom? We had no idea that it was only the first of 52 Sundays we would prepare for this. This year, between then and now, and there's still more coming, right? But do you remember who you were a year ago? Today we find ourselves at the intersection of our one year anniversary of beginning online worship. So we've had 525,600 minutes of life at a distance. And it's the intersection then with our Lent series that we're in, where we let ourselves witness in the wilderness together. And what a sweet thing we just witnessed, right? To hear those video clips of what has been experienced in our Salt House community. Thank you to those who shared, and thank you to Jason and our musicians for carrying us through it, through those, that glorious song from Rent. And we remember in that video that even with all the limitations and challenges, you know, we have experienced so much this year. Friends, if we measure this year in love, there's been a lot, a lot of love from all y'all in the ways that you've shown up and commented and been here in worship and signed up for groups and outposts and fueled so many ways in which we've served and engaged homelessness with with the new Kirkland Place Shelter. There has been a force of love in our community and a force of love into our wider community. And so for that, we celebrate. The piece then of this, the other piece though, of what this year has been, we're gonna lean into for our sermon time that's ahead of us now. As we continue on in our I Need a Witness series, we also take time to witness to what has been hard. We continue what we began last Sunday in focusing our attention inward into witnessing our own story. So we intentionally set up these two Sundays uh, to be Sundays of experience, to really experience something that would help us form words to actually express parts of our stories that we may not have quite found language for yet. So last Sunday, Pastor Ryan helped us think about how our stories often have a shape to them. And that one way to talk about that shape is how we move through moments of shalom that become shalom shattered. And then the search for shalom and then shalom restored. And we had a chance to write about it, right? Finding those words. I was surprised at the shape that my story took. Uh, I found words and ways that the story connected that I had not found before. So go and find that sermon from Pastor Ryan if you missed it and do that writing, okay? But then this Sunday, it continues, and we bring another voice in to our conversation, someone from the outside to speak with different language to continue leading us into a parallel experience of writing our stories. And in this case today, we're invited to specifically witness to our own suffering. Because who doesn't want to spend Sunday morning writing about their suffering, right? (laughs) Okay, that's not what we would naturally choose to do, but it's such a good thing for us on this anniversary to name how wilderness times, like the wilderness of this past year, are the most formational times for our lives. We learn when it's hard. It's just the weird way in which life works, right? 
So wilderness, suffering will form us if we pay attention to the lessons that are there for us, if we make room to witness to our suffering. I know that I still have more to learn from the dumpster fire of 2020. Maybe you do too. So right now is a time to tend to it. Which is why we've invited the brave Professor Kata Schwein to be our person who's leading us into this, who will work, do this work with us. So Kata is an author and a professor of creative writing and composition at St. Olaf College in Minnesota. So we'll post a link to the comments um, to her website so you can find out more about her. But she's written an award-winning dystopian novel, The Rending and the Nest, which I read and I loved. And she's also written a memoir called Tailings, which is very much about her experiences living at Holden Village. As many of you know, Holden Village in the Cascade Mountains is my favorite place on the planet. And Kata and I have actually known each other for 30-some years, having played at Holden during the summer of our childhood and even into our angsty teen years together. And also we've been there together as adults as we've watched with delight as our daughters have then run around the village together. And I've attended Kata's sessions that she has led as part of the Holden summer teaching staff where she facilitated memoir writing. And it was incredible. So I'm grateful for this time before us and for the tools and angles and considerations that she'll teach us today and how we access and write our stories. As Kata leads us into this, you have the freedom to choose whatever moment or experience of suffering that you, that you would like to, to, to write about. She'll say more about that, but I, I wanna nudge you, I wanna encourage you to tend to today's anniversary and the suffering you have endured this year. Something specific. Though if something from another time is what you need to write about, do that, but if possible, lean into the suffering of COVID for you, if you're able, okay? And to be clear, like last Sunday, we are each asked to do the heavy lifting in this experience, right? This isn't just a consumable sermon, but one that asks more of us. So one thing you may love about online worship, I know I do, is it that you can just like come in your pajamas and snuggle into the couch, which you can still do today, but maybe just be a little bit more upright, upright enough to do some writing, okay? So Kata, uh, she will reference Luke 24, which is the story of Jesus walking along with two disciples on the day of his resurrection, but they don't know that it is Jesus who walks with them on this road to Emmaus. Though it is technically an Easter, like resurrection text, and we're still in Lent, uh, there are still themes within it that resonate with our experiences of being in the wilderness and being witnesses, okay? So I'm going to read from that text now just to frame our time. So imagine it as it unfolds. This is Luke 24, 13 through 35, our reading for today. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. 
about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and the rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him, but we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in and stayed with them. When he was at the table with them, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and, ga- and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while, we talked, while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. All right, friends, as we continue to witness in the wilderness to our own stories on this COVID anniversary, we welcome to the Salt House microphone, Professor Kata Schwein. Hello, Salt House siblings in Christ. I am so delighted to get to be here with you today. I hope that you will take a minute before we begin to gather for yourself something to write on and something to write with. And if that means, you know, pulling a table close or moving your computer to a different spot where you feel more comfortable writing, go for it. If you have kiddos running around, as I often do during church services, um, who are being squirrely, feel free to dig out some markers or crayons. I'm going to try to offer some suggestions for ways that they could participate in these exercises too. Um, So feel free to get some of those, those supplies together. Today, um, I'm here to talk with you and walk with you through some of your own suffering. I know that I'm joining you on a really important day for Salt House at the year anniversary of the last time you were able to meet in person. And I just want to say up front how sorry I am for that loss, the loss of the absence to one another as community. Um, I know that all of you have suffered this year because of that loss, as well as as a result of a million other things that are going on in our world. Before we jump into the writing, I want to offer two sort of caveats. The first is that there is no suffering Olympics, (laughs) Um, especially during COVID. I think our awareness of folks who have it worse than us might be heightened, and it should be in the sense that we should all be at work every day towards building the beloved kingdom that God intends and making sure that there is a sense of equity um, for everyone and, and working towards that goal. 
at the same time, our own bodies and hearts are not rational about suffering. And when they hurt, they hurt. And so there is no kind of suffering, as you write today, that's too little or too small or too inconsequential. Um, your body and your heart knows if you have suffered and no one's going to be judging it, right? There's no Olympics. There's no hierarchy here. There's also no writing Olympics. So the idea is that we're being creative and we're engaging with the raw kind of truth of ourselves and um, things should be messy. Uh, don't worry about complete sentences. Don't worry about punctuation use. Use expletives if you'd like. <laughs> I'm just going to encourage you to try to get as much on the page as possible. Um, and so when we actually do write, I'll encourage you to start your pen or pencil going and then not to stop. And if you don't know what to write, you can say, I don't know what to write. I don't know what to write. I don't know what to write. The point is what you don't want to do is sit for a long time and try to compose the perfect sentence, because I can tell you after many years of writing that it's very likely that sentence will never arrive. So just press forward and into the mess of writing. I would like you to think now of a moment, something that you currently are suffering through or that you have suffered through in the past. And if you choose something from the past, try to choose one that is still with you now, that you don't feel like is totally resolved, um, that still when you think about it, there is that, that ache um, or that twisting or whatever. I would just, just jot it down really quickly. Take a second, jot it down. If there are kids in the room interested in participating, you can do this too. You can, you can think about what's, what's been hurting your heart recently. You know, has, has anybody been bugging you or annoying you? What's been on your mind? And you can either write it down if you're a kid or you can start to draw a picture. Either way, adults, once you've come up with that suffering, right, which could be um, ongoing loneliness because of COVID, right? It could be the death of a beloved. It could be a toxic work situation. It could be the loss of a friendship. It could be a sense of distance from God, um, the diagnosis of an illness, a broken relationship, right? Once you have that, I want you to try to think of a particular moment in time within that suffering. Okay, that you can that you can sort of visualize like you would if it was the movie of your life, right? Um, coming soon to theaters near you. And it doesn't have to be a moment where something big happened, right? If you've been experiencing a lot of um, loneliness during COVID, it could simply be a Tuesday evening when you thought that you were going to have a phone call with a friend and that friend didn't call, right? It could be the act of waiting for the phone to ring. So take thirty seconds and um, and think of a particular moment that you can visualize. In order to 
get you thinking a little bit about the kind of thing I'm going to ask you to do next, which is to write about that moment. I wanted to give you a little example of that. And so I'm going to read you a little sample from this book that I read recently that I really liked. It's called The Night Lake. Um, a Young Priest Maps the Topography of Grief um, by a woman named Liz Tickener. And in the book, she details the loss of her infant son, Fritz, and also um, the loss of her mother by suicide. And the book is sort of about making one's way through suffering and what that looks like and what it feels like. And Tickner is an incredibly brave um, and insightful writer. I, I highly recommend the book. But I want to read you a little passage. Um, obviously, the loss of her mom is a big loss, a grief that takes place over a long period of time. Um, but here's just one moment inside of that grief. And it's the moment where she goes back to her mother's house for the first time since she's learned the news of her mother's death. I pulled open the storm door, turning the solitary silver key in the doorknob without even a key ring to grip. Already, I was grasping for something to hold on to. Pushing into her home of five months, I stepped over her flip-flops, cheap black ones from Old Navy, flimsy, bearing the steady impression of her feet, kicked off as she had said, stepped inside. My mother's death was suddenly real. She had only moved into this house that spring. She was still painting, settling in. A philodendron spilled down from the top of a bookshelf. A small dresser from my childhood doubled as an end table in the entryway, holding mail, her keys, a small collection of beautiful little vases, shells, unusual rocks. Even with her unfamiliar splurges on new furniture throughout, I felt immediately that she belonged here but she was gone. I started sobbing. I wept now as I had not yet done, moving from room to room as if I were looking for her, as if I were a small child lost in a sea of other women's knees in a busy department store, trying to find my mother. Alice toddled behind me, still new to walking, fascinated to see her mother unhinged. My own mother was not in her kitchen or her dining room. My sobs became more frantic. I was at once gasping for air and letting out wrenching noises, foreign even to me. I kept searching, knowing it was in vain, but unable to stop myself. She was not in her bedroom or her den. She was not past the sliding door on her patio. I backtracked through the den into her bathroom. Her house was full of her things, full of signs of her, full of everything except herself. As one last futile attempt, I stumbled into her walk-in closet. It was packed, yet empty. I fell to the carpet, wailing, undone. It was real. My mother was dead, and she had chosen it. Now I would like you to write about the moment that you have chosen. Um, and as you write about it, just try to let us as readers, as potential readers, be in the moment with you. So try to give us sensory details. What were you wearing? Um, what was the weather like? 
what music was playing in the background. Um, were words spoken? Um, what objects were around? Was Could you smell anything? Um, just try to get us inside that moment. And don't worry about making sense. Um, just in, like I said, just start writing and keep writing. Um, and if kids are still wanting to do this, um, if there's nothing you're particularly worried about right now, I would love you to draw a picture of what a worry monster looks like. Um, or I would love to see what it looks like inside you when you feel worried or mad, like what colors are in there? Um, does it look just really scribbly or gross? Um, if you wanna just draw some like tornadoes, that's fine. Um, and, and grownups, honestly, if you'd just rather, you know, draw some rage tornadoes too, that's, that's absolutely fine. Um, but let's take like four minutes of just, um, either writing, drawing rage tornadoes, um, whatever, whatever you would like to do, um, during this time, but let's take four minutes.
So you have done a brave thing by, by writing for four minutes and being inside the place of your suffering again. So well done. What I'd like you to do now is to write a metaphor, just a single metaphor that describes what that moment felt like to you. And the metaphor can be zany or cliche, whatever, um, but it should begin with the phrase, it felt like. Um, so you might say, it felt like a bear was sitting on my chest. Um, it felt like all my happiness had been put into a bottle and shoved out to sea. Don't overthink it. Take one minute to write a metaphor. What did that moment feel like? It felt like what? Okay, and now that you have your metaphor, what I would like you to do is to put it in the in the chat box or the, the side note thing, whatever you call it, um, in your streaming service where you can interact with one another. Um, I don't want you to give any context to the metaphor. I just want you to write the it felt like and then fill in that link. And as you watch other people's metaphors pop up, I want you to just kind of briefly hold each person and just send them a little prayer, a little jolt of love. Um, we're not getting to hear all of these stories of suffering, but you're getting a little bit, a little glimpse of each person. And so just as, as their metaphor comes up, just hold them for a second and then move on to the next one. Okay, so let's just take a minute for that. So as I was preparing to talk to you, um, 
I did what I think a lot of writers and probably pastors do when they're they're not sure where to begin, which is to go to the Oxford English Dictionary and look up one of the key words that that you're thinking about. And for me, that was the word to suffer. And so I went and looked up the word and and found a lot of what you would expect, right? Um, that suffering is about as experiencing pain or loss or trauma or grief. Um, but I found that it was often linked to the word endure. Um, to in, We talk about enduring suffering. We talk about enduring pain. We talk about enduring loss. And so it made me think about the way in which inherent in our definition of suffering is time um, that we have suffered through, that we have continued onward on a journey, that suffering as a journey is not just a single momentous event that is here and then gone. And so if suffering is a, is a journey, if it happens through time, then inherent to every step of our suffering is our ability to endure the suffering. So there is the pain and there's the fact that every day that you are enduring the pain, you are moving forward. So you're suffering and you're also enduring. Um, and if you look up the word endure, you'll see synonyms like strengthen, withstand, support, sustain, persist. So you can't, you can't suffer without also withstanding and persisting. So suffering contains endurance inside of it. I think as Christians, we are often tempted to see suffering and resurrection as a linear narrative, right? Like first comes Lent, then comes Easter. First comes the cross, then comes the angel at the tomb, right? We talk about the light at the end of the tunnel. We sort of expect to move from a place of suffering, right? And grief and loss and pain to like, we're always gonna get over to this other place that's happiness and light and hope, right? As soon as the COVID vaccine started coming out, I thought, oh great, we're gonna, we're gonna be a sick country and then we're gonna be a well country, right? We're gonna be all better. And as we know, that's not the place that we're in right now, right? Um, our hope is still tinged with worry and concern. And so as I was thinking about it, I was thinking, you know, in some ways, for me at least, I think suffering is more like the story of the road to Emmaus, um, you know, where these disciples are, are walking along, lost in their own suffering about the loss of Jesus. And it turns out, you know, Jesus is right there. And that it's in this mundane moment of the breaking of the bread in the middle of this extreme moment of suffering, that they are able to see Jesus, right? That they are able to get some semblance of, of the peace that they're seeking. And so Jesus is not at the end of the suffering, right? In like the new happy place, um, Jesus is there right in the middle of it if, if they would look closely enough, right? If they would recognize him. So while I'm saying there's endurance within suffering, I also want to be quick to say that while often enduring things changes us for the better, I think we all know people that have endured suffering and have 
turned bitter or um, skeptical or hardened as a result of that suffering, right? That um, the endurance has shaped them in a different kind of way. And I think sometimes that happens when we keep our suffering to ourselves and when we let the narrative of our stuff, let, let, let the suffering control our, our own narrative of what's happening to us. And so the writing, I think, the place where writing comes into all of this is that I think it permits us to shape what can feel uncontrollable into something that feels manageable and something that we own and that we can share. And so I'd encourage you um, to do another piece of writing, okay, that goes along with this moment you wrote about. And sometime, and maybe like right now, after, after this is done, or in the next few days, go back, look at that scene again, and then do some reflective writing on the scene. Specifically, I want you to think about how have you endured the suffering? How has the suffering changed you? What have you learned about yourself? Has it made you aware of your own limitations in certain ways? Has it made you more aware of strengths or flaws in yourself? What have you learned about those around you? What have you learned about your capacity to ask for help? Was, was God present for you in the middle of it? Did you feel God's presence or not? And I'm not looking here for saccharine answers. Um, sometimes the answers to these questions aren't what we're hoping for, right? That we didn't get the kind of help that we wanted. And that's a place of deep grief for us. And that's just something to recognize and to write down. So those, those things might be dark and scary a little bit, but I think the act of recognizing it and setting it down can be a kind of balm in and of itself. Once, once you have done that, once you have written this moment of suffering and then written this reflection on it, I would encourage you to share these pieces of suffering with someone, a friend, a partner, a neighbor, um, letting ourselves be vulnerable in front of somebody else is one of the greatest gifts that we can give to that person because it sets them free to be vulnerable with us. Um, so share your story and tell the person how you suffered and explain to the person how you endured. Amen. <laughs>